Welcome to HeyYA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, HeyYA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. HeyYA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on June 2nd. And before we dive in, I just wanted to take a moment and mention that we are hiring a digital marketing manager at Book Riot. This is a position that has the option to be remote or in person. The job listing has all of the jurisdictions listed that are available. We are also an equal opportunity employer, and we're especially looking for applications from individuals from marginalized communities. You can see the job listing at bookriot.com slash join us. Um, that's bookrat.com slash join um, dash us. All right. Hello, Erica. How are you today? Hello, Tirza. I'm not doing too badly. All things considering. How are you? Good. I'm great yeah. today. You know, it's yeah. June. It's Pride Month. Woo! The weather's pretty. Yes. Woo! So the weather's nice over there. Y'all are getting it some is. like warm, warm days. Finally, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's good, at least. Yes. We're suffering. It's 90 degrees, but you know. That's too far. That's too far in the other direction. It's too, exactly. <laughs> that's what I said. It's too far. I go outside and I say to the heavens, it's too far. It's too much. <laughs> well, I hope you stay cool. I'm hoping to maybe get outside and do some hammock reading later today because it's so gorgeous. Hammock reading. Yes. Yes, Ooh, indeed. bougie. I know. Ooh, now I want to get a yard all of a sudden and forsake this city living that I've been doing. <laughs> I mean, I can recommend it. You know, living out in rural areas has its perks. The that, perk yeah. is I have a yard. <laughs> yes. So nice. I want a hammock read. Uh, um, it's on my list. <laughs> there we go. Um, well, before I had a yard, I I did buy a hammock, and I used to go to like city parks, and I feel like maybe the oh. like the vibe of this differs depending on where you live. But mm-hmm. in my last town, it was totally normal and totally a thing. Like you could go to any city park and just like hang your hammock up between any two trees that were close enough, and people did this all the time. Wow. And so yeah, I yeah. I used to do that all the time. I had just bought like a. I don't know, it's not vinyl, but like a polyester hammock that I like wow. folds down really nicely. It's like for camping. Yeah. And I would go to the park and I just hang it and hang for hours reading in a public park. <gasps> That's a thing. Yeah, it was totally a thing in my last town. I love that. Wow. But here where I live now, I feel like if I were to do that, somebody would call the cops on me, which is <laughs> you know, not what I want. That would definitely harsh my summer vibe. Yes. That is not it. The parks are very pristine here, and I just get the the feeling that, like, people would not appreciate that. So I have a yard, and that's when I do my hammock hanging. You cannot (laughs) sully their pristine parks with your dirty hammocks. I know. Oh, my God. So, like I said, maybe depending on where you live, that could be an option. That is a good (laughs) idea, though. It does sound very, like, relaxing. I'll have to scope it out. (laughs) Do it. Yes. All right. So you got some news for us. Yes. So the Hunger Games prequel will be starring Rachel Zegler. Fun, fun, fun. So Rachel will play Lucy Gray Bard. Okay, Baird. Please correct me if I'm saying that incorrectly. B-A-I-R-D. Maybe Baird. Baird, yes. 
So I did not read The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, which is the prequel to The Hunger Games. I did read all three of The Hunger Games. I was totally into that. But this looks like it should be fun. I'm not familiar with Rachel, but in the Book Riot Slack, I was reading some good things about her. Okay. So are you familiar with her work or... I am not familiar with her work, nor am I familiar with the prequel. I, mm-hmm. you know, I love The Hunger Games yes. when they came out, yes. and I haven't, I haven't reread them since I read them when they first came out. Same. But like, I was a huge fangirl. I met Suzanne Collins when I was oh. seventeen. Like, she was nice. super nice. But I guess when the prequel came out, I was like. Mm, I'm good, thanks. I don't yeah. really need to read about that. However, now that there's going to be a movie that will probably entice me. Like, I have the book. It's downstairs on my shelf. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I didn't even know that they were going to make a prequel film. But considering the popularity of the, you know, the other four films, I guess this isn't surprising. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I actually did not see the Hunger Games movies but I read all three of them, like, you know, around the time when they first came out. And I really liked them. I, like, literally read them over a weekend in my dorm when I should have been oh. studying. So nice. there's that. So obviously, like, I really like them. It is interesting. So the prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, it came out in May in 2020. So it's interesting because I read those books in, what, like, 2012? 2011? Yeah. And so it's, um, they kind of waited a while. And I wonder, like, we've talked about it before, how, like, that's a different, that was kind of a different era of YA. Totally. So it's like, I wonder how that'll do now, you know? Yeah, it's curious because, as we've mentioned, I think, on this show before, Scott Westerfeld's Ugly series Mm -hmm. is getting an adaptation that I think is going to come out this fall, like in September. And those books were wildly popular in, like, 2009. And they're also dystopian. So, you know, I feel like everything that's popular, it sometimes falls out of popularity, but it always comes back again. So it'll be curious to see how the dystopians... I guess, fair the second time around. Yeah. Maybe that'll be an episode. Who knows? It should be interesting, though. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, but that's some fun bit of news. And um, we're going to go to our sponsor before we come back and talk about our topic today. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you've probably never heard of. And bonus points because it's Finnish. And when's the last time you read a Finnish dystopian science fiction novel? Right. Okay. So in this one, humanity is destroying itself as a city's burn, which sounds kind of familiar. It is the time of the great affliction. In this terrible world, a new hope arises. The happiness program, which is the creation of a Finnish pharmaceutical genius, Dr. Laura Solomon. With happiness, pills, mind mapping, and microchips, Dr. Solomon intends to build a new world for the worthy few, which sounds like a perfect plan and nothing could go wrong, right? Right. So this is a raw but fun dystopian sci-fi adventure with an unusual premise describing what happens when technology rules humanity. Either you're chipped living inside the AR society or you're left outside to barely survive. Make sure to check out Unchipped by Taya DeVere. And thanks again to Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you probably never heard of for sponsoring this episode. All right. So, Erica, let's talk about asexuality in YA. Mm-hmm. This is... I think I've really excited about this episode and you actually came up with the idea which i love and i love that we're doing it during pride month yes um because so often folks on the asexuality spectrum get left out of the conversation Mm -hmm. when we're talking about like lgbtq representation and that's in part because i think we we tend to stop saying the acronym like at the q because it can be a mouthful yeah. But LGBTQIA plus representation. It's important. The A stands for asexuality. I think last Pride, there was like this tweet going around where like somebody thought that the A stood for ally and like allies, we love you. You're important. It's not about you. <laughs> so um, that was also in this in one of the books that we the book that you and I both read, The Therapist. Yes said something like that and I remember you told me that and when you told me that like you told me like a few weeks ago I think or something and I, that blew my mind I was like you're kidding me <laughs> like that yeah. is ridiculous but yes it's ridiculous so yeah there have been like a lot of great newer books that have come out recently and by recently mm-hmm. I mean like within the last couple of years that really like celebrate and explore the asexuality spectrum but like that side I think it is still sort of a newer development like a newer conversation in YA definitely so I love yeah and I love that you you know brought this up so we could take this opportunity to highlight like some really great books that have come out with asexuality sexual representation but i admit you came up with this idea and i was like yes great that's awesome and i knew about some books Mm -hmm. that had to do with asexuality representation but i was also like i'm a little bit like you know just a little uncertain going into this because this is you know not my area of expertise so i actually turned to this great little book called a quick and easy guide to asexuality by molly muldoon and will hernandez um, it's put out by Limerence Press, which I think is an imprint of Oni books. And they do like little like graphic novels and comics and such. So this is like a tiny little graphic guide. And by graphic, I mean like comics illustrated, not spicy. Um, and it reads <laughs> a lot like this conversation between the two creators, Molly and Will, 
and the reader. So, like, it starts out, and it's completely done in comic style. So Molly and Will are talking about what it means to be asexual. They are both asexual. And they kind of invite the reader into this conversation. Um, and I just should note that, like, this like, quick and easy guide to asexuality, it's part of a series of guides that Limerence Press has put out. They have some really great ones. Um, I have purchased multiple copies of a quick and easy guide to they, them pronouns for like family and, and friends, just because um, my partner uses they, them pronouns. So it's really a great guide to just like give people who are like, I want to do, you know, the right thing, but I don't know. So they have one on they, them pronouns. They have one for like consent, queer identity, um, sex and disability. It's awesome. Um, so this one on asexuality is a really good guide. If you just want to get to the basics about like what asexuality is, if you want to kind of become a little bit more aware of like the harmful stereotypes that are out there, just because I think knowing what those stereotypes are means that we then are aware of them and can avoid them. Um, and then it also just talks a little bit about, you know, how people who are on the asexual spectrum experience the world and how they navigate like life and dating and all that stuff. So I thought I had a pretty decent grasp on what asexuality was before reading this, but this really fleshed out a lot of things for me and they were contextualized very nicely and I learned some good stuff. So before we actually dive into our discussion, um, in case you were new to this conversation, um, one thing I just wanted to share that I learned from a quick and easy guide to asexuality is that asexuality means you don't feel sexual attraction. However, asexuality is also a spectrum. Um, so what it means to be asexual will look different for each individual, which is why it's important not to, you know, assume things about people um, who come out as asexual. So some ace folks choose not to have sex or embark on romantic relationships. Some do. Um, there's this excellent cake metaphor that the authors actually walk us through um, that does a really good job of explaining things. And I believe the cake metaphor is like widely known and used um, when talking about asexuality. It also... Asexuality is distinct from being aromantic. Um, aromantic means that you don't feel a romantic attraction towards other people. Um, but again, that can also be a spectrum and not all ace folks are aromantic. Not all aromantic folks are asexual. You can basically experience these identities on a spectrum and in any combination. Mm -hmm. um, which is to say, like, you know, that gets complicated because yeah. anything, anytime I think you have something that exists on a spectrum... It's complicated because it can be different for any different person. Yeah. Um, so just keeping that in mind as we talk about our books, I think is really important because I think our picks actually do a pretty good job of showing like a nice little spectrum of like asexuality understanding and what characters want. Mm -hmm. So the first pick that we're going to talk about um, is in part because I think it was one of the most prominent YA releases that sort of focus on asexuality. Um, it's not the first by any means, but I, the one that kind of sticks out in my mind is like the one that got a lot of attention. Yeah. And that's in part because it's a romance novel. So it's Let's Talk About Love by Claire Kahn. Um, and do you want to tell us about this book? Yes. So let's talk about love. So Alice is a sophomore in college. We open up to... Her girlfriend basically breaking up with her, 
Margot, who I thought was a piece of work, side note, for several <laughs> yeah, like, reasons. But Content warning for, like, problematic descriptions of asexuality and racism yes. in that first chapter. Thank you. I just mean, throwing that in there. Just throw that in there real quick for good measure. I'm like, Alice, you and I could not be the same, any more different in terms of, you know, who we... Um, the types of people, because I'm like, as soon as someone says something racist, I'm like, okay, so the door, <laughs> the door yeah. is there, the door. Anyway, so she's, she being Alice is feeling, you know, hurt because she basically got dumped by Margot. And Margot, the issue that Margot says she has is that she feels like Alice does not like her as a girlfriend because Alice does not have, want to have sex with her. Like, they've had sex before, but she felt like Alice didn't actually want it, and Margot's always the one who is initiating. So, Alice, like, she explains that she's asexual, but as you just said, Tirza, Margot is like, you know, what is that? It's kind of, like, met with this um, disbelief, I guess, some disdain, resentment a little bit, you know? So Yeah, she acts like there's something wrong with her. Literally. Like she needs to, like, go see a doctor or a therapist or she had some sort of past trauma that she yeah. needs to, like, get over. And that's actually a common misconception and stereotype that mm-hmm. asexual people have to face a lot. So, yeah, that so you're getting it hot and heavy like within the first few pages. Um, so Alice... Uh, basically, they were living together in a dorm. Uh, they eventually move out. Alice goes to live with her two best friends, um, who are, for the most part, pretty supportive of her. And she has this job at the library for the summer. And that's where she meets this new guy. His name is Takumi. Takumi is basically hella fine. She has <laughs> that little code she has. I was like, okay, I guess, girl. <laughs> yes. It's cute because she has this cuteness code. And then yeah. part, like, this is, you know, like, she kind of, she knows that she's asexual, but she has this cuteness code that she sort of rates a lot of things against just to try to, like, I maybe, like, gauge how she feels about things and, like, why she's attracted to things and attracted to things in, like, a, oh, that's a cute way or, like, oh, do I feel romantic feelings? Mm-hmm. And Takumi basically breaks her scale. He, like, me, yeah, he, she has to recalibrate it and create a new label because he's, like, so fine, basically. So they essentially start, she's... She feels really attracted to him. And even there is some physical arousal, but she still is not sure about, kind of not sure about her sexuality because she thought she was one way for a while. And then she meets Takumi and things kind of start to change for her in a way. So she wants to sort these things out. And she asks her, a friend of hers for a therapist. Like she has... Her parents are, it seems like her parents are fairly well off. They have like decent paying jobs, but she doesn't want to talk about her sexuality with her siblings or her mother. So if she were to go to a therapist with the insurance, her mom would find out and call and ask and all that. So she wants to pay out of pocket. And so she goes to, I'm skipping a few things like the friend stuff, but I will say (laughs) one of the things I did like about the book, I liked 
her conversations with her therapist. I feel like it's really rare in YA that we get, like, really good scenes between, like, a character and, like, a therapist. Yeah. Especially a therapist that's really helpful because, um, you know, we talk a lot about how, like, people shouldn't be afraid to seek mental help and, mm-hmm. and seek therapy. But I think more instances of what therapy can look like in fiction, like, obviously that's tricky to write, especially if you don't have that experience or you're not a therapist because you don't want to do damage. But I think, like, having more realistic depictions of that is important because then it takes away the stigma or lessens the stigma of going to see a therapist. Because you kind of get, like, this little, like, oh, this is what I might be able to expect. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. And this book, I think, I really liked her the conversations she had with the therapist. And I like how you said it shows how it could be because... I've had many friends and family members who've gone to therapy and they, it doesn't turn out the way it should, maybe because Mm -hmm. that therapist is not a good fit for them, or maybe because if we're being real, maybe they're not qualified to handle whatever arises during therapy. And I feel like that puts people off of therapy. Yeah. So to see successful, like successful instances or images of what therapy could be in YA, I think is really encouraging and really good because it lets people know like, hey, even if you've gone to therapist and it didn't work out for you, this is what it could be. So, you know, maybe keep trying if you're able to. Exactly. Exactly. But um, the therapist describes what asexuality is and Alice is like, you know, I already know what that is. And basically she's like, the problem is not that I don't know what asexuality is. I've identified with being asexual as, you know, as asexual for a while. The problem is she doesn't, the problem is other people's responses to her being asexual. And that's what she wants to work through. Right. She also has, so her, her relationships with her friends were interesting. Yeah. She's been friends with Feeny. Feeny seems like she has some anger issues. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Feeny like an ex-con i'm i'm exaggerating but i think it said she had gotten arrested or something feeny is always scrapping with somebody yeah like literally like like punching people literally like scrappy do like literally ready to fight like yeah what is (laughs) what is that she lets people mess around and and find out yeah (laughs) yes and find out you do that with feeny you can mess around and find out with feeny basically and she's she's got scars from fights that she's proud of (laughs) she is a scrapper so feeny and ryan ryan is i believe feeny is white i think but i I don't remember it being specifically stated but i remember ryan uh feeny's boyfriend is filipino and uh, Ryan and Feeney have been friends with Alice for a long time. Like, they're friend, all three of them are friends together, but also Alice is friends with each of them individually. And she moves in with them, but they're like a couple, so that kind of sometimes becomes a bit of a third wheel situation. Um, and they're mostly supportive of her. Um, they know about her asexuality. Feeney tries to help her sort out her feelings, kind of uh, her new feelings that she has for Takumi. Um, They do hit a bit of a rough patch, though, a little bit of a misunderstanding at some point. Um, And then there's Alice's family. She has a couple siblings who are like about 20 years older than her and her mom. And they're all pressuring her to go to law school. And it was interesting because Ryan kind of didn't understand like the pressure, like how that was annoying. But that's kind of a digression, I guess. And when I say that being annoying, meaning like her family pressuring her to go to law school when that's clearly not what she wanted to do. 
So essentially, yes, it's a romance. Those are all the things going on with Alice, more or less. Yeah. And she just has to, she slowly, it's a slow burn. I think we said this, you said this before we started recording. It's a slow burn. Her and Takumi, you know, gradually get to know each other and stuff like that. What would you add to that summary, Tirza? I mean, I think you did a really good job of summing up the book. I think that, um, you know, what this book does well is show how complicated and and messy relationships can be. Especially, and like how awkward it is when like you like somebody in the beginning, but like you know that you are on the ace spectrum and you kind of know like what you're comfortable with as far as getting physical but at the same time it's difficult because you like when you're first dating somebody you're not going to be like oh hey this is how i feel about sex on like the first <laughs> yeah. date yeah. <laughs> um i mean like maybe Maybe some people do, but, like, when they're adults, like, as teenagers, like, looking for relationships, I don't think that that is something that comes up as often. And it can be awkward, especially if you're not used to talking about that. Um, So I think what this book does was, like, it it captures how how awkward it can be and how fraught it can be to date while ace and not really certain how the other person is going to react when they find out that, you know, how you feel about sex and like what you're willing to do or not do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just digs into like how complicated that can be and how important it is to talk it out. So I, I like the book for that aspect. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good example. I believe the author is asexual um, and it lets, you know, non-asexual people into that world, which is the point of, you know, purposely reading outside of what you usually read. And the points that are brought up, it's interesting because as someone who is not asexual, um, you know, there are things that you take for granted and you don't think about. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, okay. I didn't think about it that way. Um, Just as far as, you know, relationship dynamics and stuff like that. Like I said, I, I I really liked the conversation between, I liked her therapy sessions a lot. And I also felt like, eventually how her and Takumi worked through things like more so towards the end I felt like they were communicating well yeah so you know and just being like true to themselves I feel exactly yeah which is it's it's complicated and I hope that if you know anybody reads this book who isn't ace um they come away with like a little bit more empathy and like what not to say if somebody comes out to you as ace and like don't tell people like oh well maybe you just haven't found the right person yet um stuff like that is not helpful it can actually be hurtful so you see that in action in this book yeah oh another thing i think it did well like basically what you were saying with the um graphic novel that you were describing earlier the quick and easy guide to sexuality for me, I didn't know, like, the spectrum was so, not so, but I should say that it was such a wide spectrum, I guess. And so this mm-hmm. was a good way for me to learn about that um, in a, you know, immersive environment, I guess. Meaning, like, yeah. a- apart from me looking up, like, what is asexuality? Like, I'm, you know, reading it from a novel, so I'm immersed in that world. So that was really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's not such, like, a black and white issue that I think tends to 
you know, it gets boiled down to like black and white, but obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. And um, this did a good job of showing a complex relationship in action with all of its pitfalls and stumbles because, of course, our character is young and she's only human. So, yeah, I really like that aspect of this book a lot. So we do have a few more books to get into. But before that, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant rivals to lovers debut romance. Gene Ionescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so Tirza, which other asexual book would you like to talk about? I would like to talk about um, Loveless by Alice Osman. Um, which, if you know the name Alice Osman, it's probably because Heartstopper, mm. the, um, yeah, the comic series is everywhere right yes. now because of the Netflix adaptation. Yeah, I like, I even saw the Heartstopper books in my local Walmart. So, like, they are blowing up. So, Alice Osman is a British writer mm-hmm. and also the author of this wonderful book called Loveless, which has been out in the UK, I think, like a year, but it just came out here in the US rather recently. Um, it's put out by Scholastic. And it is about a teenage girl named Georgia. So, the book starts um, with Georgia at like the after prom party that she and her friends are at. And she feels really awkward because like basically 
prom is like one giant sort of last hurrah for everybody who's graduating. Right. And then, of course, the after prom party, everybody's getting it on. And <laughs> so she's just like, oh, there's all these couples that are just kissing everywhere. Yeah. And like, that looks kind of gross. And, you know, not that like she doesn't, but she still kind of wants to like kiss somebody yeah. because she feels like that's what she should want. And she's kind of curious and she doesn't want to seem like she's left behind. And um, at the beginning of the book, she's not really using, like, the language to sort of identify her as asexual. She just kind of knows that, like, she should want that, but she feels really clueless as to how to get it. And so she's hanging out with her best friends, and they're like, this is your chance. Like, we're about to graduate from high school. Like, we're going to go on to university. Because they're they're British, so they call it university. And <laughs> yeah. um, I know yeah. I'm like every now and then it felt like I was like, oh yeah, they call chips yeah. crisps. Like this yeah. is this is England. <laughs> but um, she, so they kind of encourage her like, who like you should kiss somebody. Like this is your last hurrah. Like nobody else. Like, we're not going to be around these people anymore after, very soon after graduation. And so she kind of lets herself get talked into maybe trying to kiss her longtime crush, Tommy, who is described as looking an awful lot like Timothy Chalamet. And oh. he he seems like, you know, he might be open to it. There's, like, this catastrophic game of truth or dare where she gets really embarrassed because she admits that she's never kissed anybody. And then, you know, Tommy's really nice about it. And they kind of get this opportunity to sneak off together. And she's thinking like, oh, this is it. Like, maybe I'm, you know, finally going to get my first kiss. And it's going to be with this guy that, like, I've told my friends I've liked for seven years. But as he's leaning in for the kiss, she has this moment of clarity where she's like, I don't want to kiss him. I think Mm. kissing is not for me. And I think that I don't actually really like him. I just felt like I had to identify a crush back like seven years ago when I was 11 because that's what all the girls were doing and so I've just kind of kept up this facade of like oh yeah I like Tommy because he looks like Timothy Chalamet and so she at the last minute she shoves him away and his arm catches on fire oh my god and so it's a disaster and this is not a spoiler (laughs) because this all happens in like literally the first like 30 pages and and but it's like this moment of clarity for her where she's like yeah no kissing is not for me But she also feels terrible about it because she feels like she should want romance. She's studied romance. She loves fan fiction. She she should want all of these things. Like, what is wrong with her? And so she's headed off to university. And that's kind of where the book picks up again. And she's going to figure out, like, what it is to, you know, date and also understanding that, like, she is asexual, aromantic. And that is difficult because we live in a world that's very obsessed with like romantic love and sex. And she has to figure out a way to sort of, I guess, like live her truth Mm -hmm. um, and what it means like to have these labels and what it means to be able to have the words to speak how she's always felt. Um, But also, you know, knowing that, like, I've known this all along, but now I'm finally able to articulate it. But how do I tell other people? And yeah. how do I show other people that, like, I may be asexual, I may be aromantic, but, like, I can still love and I can still have meaningful friendships and meaningful relationships with people. Um, so from that aspect, I thought that the book was just, you know, very lovely and well done. That's Yeah, it's a great book, and I know that Heartstopper is really popular right now, so hopefully people will go pick up Loveless by Alice Osbin. Well, that certainly does sound quite lovely. 
Um, I feel like people will really like that because Alice is, oh, another Alice, I just realized. Alice is doing things, doing big things. Yes. And the, I just just say really quickly, the cover of the American edition is adorable. And Alice actually illustrated that as well. Oh, now I want to see it. I haven't actually, I think I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's great. It's like um, the like lilac color, lavender, lilac, lavender. Yeah, it's kind of like, like a lavender hue. And there's like a bunch of like people in a crowd and some of them are kissing and a lot of them are like looking at each other. And then there are three people in full color and like two of them are a couple who are making eyes at each other. And then one is this girl who's, you know, Georgia, who's just kind of standing in the middle of it all. Like, um, how do I fit in in all this? Okay. I see it now. Yeah, it's a great cover. The first one that came up was a lavender one, but it was just one person. Okay, this is a different... Yes, it's quite lovely. Yeah, I think that's the UK cover. Yeah, Yeah. they're both nice, but that one is super cute. It is. It's awesome that they illustrated that. But yes, so the next one I have to talk about is Ray Bearer. I feel like I've mentioned it on the show before. Yes. I loved it. It was great. I still haven't read the second one, but only because... I just haven't gotten to it. The Ray Bear is so good, though. I loved it. It's so great. It takes place in this world that is kind of like, it's African inspired. And I think there's some Asian influences, too. So, like, they give you, like, a little map in the beginning. So it's that type of, like, science fiction and fantasy. If you like, you know, if you like it when they give you a map, then you're going to, like, vibe with this. You know, it's serious when, map. They, <laughs> when they give you a map. It's like, it's like that. I have to map where these... You know, and the words and the names of places are totally different. But basically, it's about Tarisai, and she is um, this young girl who has this very weird kind of, like, yeah, very kind of odd upbringing. Um, she has these tutors that come to her house, and they teach her, well, I mean, they teach her everything, different languages and different facts and different things. And she's kind of like, she's basically just kept in this house and she can see people like walking outside and she sees other children playing with their mothers and fathers and other kids. And she's kept from that world and she really wants it. She doesn't know why she can't have it. And her mother, her mother like visits like every once in a while. And when she does like Tarsai is like super happy and stuff And her mother, like, sings to her, but she doesn't understand why her mother isn't there all the time. Also, I should say she calls her mother the lady. So that's just, like, an indication of how, like, kind of weird it is. (laughs) The whole setup is odd. So one day she, the lady tells her of how she's going to enter Tarisai into this, kind of like this competition, basically. And the competition is to... Basically, it's to see which children will become like the king's inner court, basically. And the king, at the moment, is still a child. So these children are competing with each other to kind of like become friends with the future king, who is like a prince right now. They're going to grow up together and they're going to have this this thing called the ray, which connects them on I don't know how I would describe it. Of course, this world has its own magic system. But basically, the ray is kind of like this spiritual connection. And it, it like protects the king. And it also connects the king and that person who holds that particular ray. So basically, Tarisai comes to find out that she is 
kind of been raised, like all of her training and tutoring and everything has been for this moment, for her to become the king's part of the king's inner court. And her mom tells her that she wants, her mother that is, wants Tarisai to kill the king. Tarisai is totally not a, you know, evil, murderous person. So although she wants to please her mother, who, you know, never even comes around. So it's like she wants to please her even more because she's never around. So she doesn't want to push her away. As much as she wants to please her, she also doesn't want to kill anyone. So she ends up being chosen by the prince to be one of his inner circle. And I think they're chosen when they're like literally 11 years old and they grow up in the court. So after she gets chosen, they grow up together in the court. And I don't think me saying she gets chosen is a spoiler. It's kind of like when you read the cover, you're kind of like, okay, she gets chosen, even though it happens a little like in a, you know, a couple chapters later. And the thing is, Tari Sai's father, well, let's say her, yeah, her father, this is found out early on too. There's something particular about her father that makes it so that her mother can command her. I know that sounds like wonky, but like, so when her mother asked, when her mother commanded her to kill the king, Dio, that was part of, she did it in a way where it was a command and Tarisai can't really control it. So she's going to have to struggle with how to not do that because like I said, she's not a murderer. So there are so many cool elements to this. That's like, you know, there are a lot of um, like West African mythology, mythological aspects. There's this interesting um, like underworld that goes on. There's this part of this world, a town where the kingdom made an agreement with the underworld that The underworld would not take their children as long as they offered like a few sacrifices each year. It turns out there's this one particular place where all the sacrifices come from. So that's a point of contention for the people from that place. And there's all these these like really cool, um, like I said, mythological aspects. There are these different kinds of like sprites and fairies and beasts and languages and tattoos and how they communicate with drums is really cool. So there's that. Now, as far as the asexual representation goes, there is a major character who is asexual. I won't say who because it's a bit of a spoiler in that it's not immediately known. And them being asexual is kind of tied to major plot points. So I don't want to say who who it is, but it's a major character. And it them being asexual, I feel like it influence it greatly influences the plot. I like it's a it's a great book. It's it's great. And what's cool about it too, it's like with these other well, with Let's Talk About Love by Claire Kahn, Ace, Alice's asexuality in that book is a major part of the book. And that's mm-hmm. good for the reasons that we already mentioned. In this book, this person's asexuality, like I said, it determines the plot, it shapes the plot, but it's not something that's focused on. It's like, okay, you're asexual. Okay, cool. Now, how do we, you know, how do we beat the underworld? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yes. And I love that, you know, we can have, like, all these books that have, like, different genres. And, like, it can either be just, like, a part of the book or it can be, you know, mm-hmm. the thing that the book sort of hinges around. But, like, we we have that sort of diversity of options. And, yeah, that's awesome. Exactly, which is great. And it's good to 
just with all things that aren't are not like um you know cis hetero mainstream it's good to have that range so i really love this book it's awesome ray bear by jordan ifwaco awesome um so my next pick is a brand new release just came out recently it is art and gray by ray stovey and it is about arden who is um, 16 and she is not having a great time at home because her mom has just left her and her father and her younger brother. And like the family is not talking about it. Like it's clearly left quite an impact on them and it's a struggle, but they're just going to kind of pretend that like that just didn't happen. Um, She also is struggling at school because there's this real jerk of a classmate. Um, His name is Tanner and he is like harassing her over her sexuality. So, you know, she has kind of come to terms with the fact that like she's pretty sure she's a lesbian. She likes other girls. But the thing that like you know, and that's like not really public knowledge. Like it's just something that pe- a lot of people assume or sort of imply about her. Um, so even though that's true, she doesn't really want to talk about it and nor should she have to. And she wishes that people would stop drawing attention to it. But the thing that's kind of a secret is that she is thinking that she might be asexual. And so she's sort of just trying to figure out what that means for her. So meanwhile, she has got her photography and the photography is really is what's getting her through the day. Um, she has this love of taking um, film photography, especially. And she's got her best friend, Jamie. Um, Jamie is a trans character and he has recently started dating somebody new. And Arden just feels like really insecure about the fact that Jamie is suddenly dating Caroline and spending a lot of time with her and she's starting to wonder like am I jealous that Jamie has somebody or am I jealous because Caroline you know doesn't seem to be like this great fit and it's basically this really emotional story about a lot of complicated relationships and what it means when you're trying to figure all of these things out but then you also sort of stop and start to think like hey maybe this relationship isn't healthy Mm. and that is really important because there are a lot of abusive relationships yes abusive relationships can look like a lot of different things And I think we all kind of recognize that, like, if somebody's being physically abusive, like, that that is abuse and that's wrong. But what about if somebody is trying to manipulate you or emotional abuse? And um, I really do appreciate when YA authors can take a look at that and um, just kind of help people understand and contextualize like, okay, this is, this is not good. And why is this not good? And what can we do about it? Because yeah, it, it can be tough. So this is a wonderful book about, you know, just a character trying to figure it all out and trying to come to terms too with like, okay, um, if, I'm seeing patterns in my friendships. Like, what does that mean about my relationships at home? And like, 
reconsidering a lot of different relationships in a different light, uh, while also questioning and exploring an asexual identity. So that is Art in Grey by Ray Stovey, um, and it just came out this spring. That is a lot to contend with. <laughs> it is a lot. It's like, it's let me just, just figure out my identity and these terrible relationships that I'm in. <laughs> it's a lot of messiness, but yeah. I think it is handled, like, really well. And, yeah, it's just, it was great. I liked it a lot. I love to see, um, especially in YA fiction, that breakdown that you were just talking about, like, the analysis of what healthy relationships are, whether they're romantic, familial, platonic, whatever, and also how yeah. abuse can be present without physical abuse. Absolutely. So that is always really, I always really love to see that. Um, although I have not read that book, but it is now on the TBR, thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one I have is Ilatsoe by Darcy Little Badger. And once I, I'm just like even thinking of the description of both of these other books that I'm talking about, and you're going to notice a pattern. But yeah, so this is about... Ilatsue, who lives in an America that is like basically like our ours, but like think of our America or our world as it is, but with all of like the mythology from different cultures, like it being like present in the everyday like stuff. So nice. yeah, what I mean by that is like say in this world, all of the indigenous mythological creatures are known to exist. They, you know, exist in their, you know, home area. Home area. What's a better way to say that? In the areas in which they are um, known to exhibit, like there are river spirits and certain monsters and forests and stuff like that. There are also vampires. Mm. So what's interesting about this book is like everyone's cultural, like, spirits and demons and entities exist at once. So you have the indigenous people's mythology, which specifically Ilatsawe and Darcy Little Badger, the author, they are Lipin Apache. So um, all of their, you know, mythological creatures and beasts and things like that are um, present in this world, as are like, say, Celtic fairies and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. So Ilatsawe actually... She comes from a long line of women who, of Lipin Apache women, who can raise the ghosts of dead animals. Mm. So, like, it's a skill that's been passed down through the generations. It's super cool, obviously. But, yeah, so what's cool about this is, uh, well, many things are, but she has this dog. It's, like, her ghost dog. Kirby, I think his name. It's been a while since I read this. I believe his name is Kirby. But, um... I know there's a thing where people don't like to read about, like, you know, animals or pets dying. But it's like, he, he like, died before the book, and now he's a ghost dog, and he still acts like a dog. Like, she plays fetch with him and stuff like that. And it's really cute. And he can't die because he's already dead. But, yes, yeah, so there's Kirby. And so she has this dream one night where her cousin, her male cousin, um, who was, like, married with kids and stuff, he calls, not calls, he calls upon her rather because it's in a dream and he basically is like someone killed me it's this guy protect my family so he comes to her from the spirit world and she wakes up and she tells her parents what i love about her parents are that 
they're immediately like they immediately believe her we don't have to go back and forth with that silly business where you know sometimes in stories like this the parents are like oh you're just young go back to sleep you know that type of thing they believe her and i mean they also know that the cousin was in a car accident and so they know that he's passed away through the car accident um i guess the thing that makes in lots of ways dream visit with him different is that he's saying it was a purposeful murder. It's not just a car accident. And so they believe her on that front as well. And so the thing is, they warn her, like, you know, be careful with people visiting you who have passed on because they can kind of, you know, become angry spirits and stuff like that. And kind of um, like if they manifest in the physical world, it can be really bad. So her and her mom, they go to Texas where her cousin was living for the funeral and stuff like that. She also goes because she wants to investigate what happened with her cousin. He left someone's name. It was this white guy who is this like, this really like well-to-do person in this little town. He's like a doctor or something. And he's like very well respected. Each year he has this like gala, this ball. And it like, it's a fundraiser. And he's like, you know, on the surface is very likable person. But she knows that her cousin was like, nah, that's the guy. Like, protect my family from him. And so she starts to uncover, like, some weird things about the town and weird things about this guy. She has the help of her friend, her male friend, who is his cheerleader, which is great. And her her male friend is, well, his sister is going to marry a vampire. And it's like, (laughs) I know this sounds kind of like a lot, but it works, I think. And her friend... He comes down through these, I think they're called like a fairy, this like fairy type of transportation where it kind of like they move through the fungi networks, which is a really interesting concept. I'd never heard of it before, but he's able to travel to Texas to kind of help her investigate and stuff like that. And it's really interesting how um, Darcy Little Badger like examines colonialism and belonging in place and stuff through some of these characters and, you know, indigenous displacement and stuff like that. So the asexual tie, Ilatsaway, the main character is asexual. And I remember we actually, I actually read this book for a book club discussion through our, uh, well now defunct insiders club. And we were all talking about how it was cool reading about, it was cool to see a, you know, cis hetero, teen boy and girl relationship in a YA novel that was not romantic. They were really just friends. And that was great. It's it's cool to see, you know, cis hetero people being friends and nothing more. So it did get a little bloody a little bit at the end. So heads up <laughs> on that. But I really liked it. And um, Darcy Little Badger won a Nebula for their book, A Snake Falls to Earth this year, this, uh, these current Nebula Awards. And so that's really great. So she's, you know, she's making waves. Miss Badger, Miss Little Badger. So she won the, um, specifically the Andre Norton Nebula Award for middle grade and young adult fiction. I haven't read that book yet, but it's on the list. (laughs) So yes, again, that is a lots away by Darcy Little Badger. Awesome. Yeah, that one's on my shelf too. So thank you for reminding me that I need to read it. (laughs) For sure, for sure. It's fun. I just want to shout out two more books that I had 
fully intended to read for this episode, but then I ran out of time and they look so good. Um, so if you're looking for more books to check out after this, um, definitely look at now entering Adamsville by Francesca Zappia. It is like a paranormal murder mystery. It's about Ooh. Zora. Yeah, she has um, kind of known to be a little bit of a, a trouble starter. And so somebody burns down the home of the school janitor. He tragically dies while inside. And everybody's like, oh, must be Zora. And oh she's God. like, well, shoot. And so she has to clear her name <laughs> by investigating what really happened. And she finds this connection to, like, a string of arsons that occurred 30 years earlier. And she's like, hmm. Um, so she's asexual in the book. And, yeah, it looks it looks fun. Um, I actually downloaded it on my Libby app. And then I never got to it. But I will try to read it before it expires because it looks great. Mm-hmm. The other one I want to shout out is Summer Bird Blue by Akemi Don Bowman. And this one uh, has tragically been on my TBR forever. But it is about Rumi, who tragically lost her sister in a car accident. And she's been just mired down in a lot of heavy grief ever since then. Her mom sends her to live with her aunt in Hawaii, just to kind of like for a change of scenery, but also because her mom is also grieving and needs some space as well. So there in Hawaii, Rumi is trying to just kind of figure out how to be. And she becomes friends with like the boy next door and seems like there might be a romantic spark there. But part of her journey is coming to terms with the fact that she is asexual and aromantic and what that means for her um, while also navigating her grief. So that one looks really awesome as well. And then I do want to mention, too, this fun piece of news. If you're looking for even more asexual representation, it was announced a couple of weeks ago that there will be an anthology coming out next fall, 2023, called Being Ace. And it's edited by Madeline Dyer. Um, It's going to be an anthology um, celebrating and exploring the sub-identities of the asexual spectrum through a variety of genres. That's a direct quote from the deal announcement. And it's going to include... Include um, stories from Akemi Don Bowman, whose book I just mentioned, Rosie Thor, Sam Taylor, and many, many more. So that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Look for that one coming out next year. I know it's hard to wait like a year and a half, um, but I'm sure it'll be upon us before we know it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, and I think just the fact that there's a whole anthology coming out shows that, like, there's a real need and desire for books about asexuality. Yeah. Yeah, if you're looking for even more books, um, we have a few resources for you, too. And these will be, of course, linked in the show notes. Um, Book Riot did an article about just asexuality um, in fiction. And that um, covers YA, but it also covers other, like, adult and other genres. Um, And then Epic Reads actually has a really great blog post about a ton of um, YA books with asexual representation. Um, Most of them have, like, the main characters asexual, but some of them will be, like, a prominent secondary character as asexual. So um, definitely check that out. And then, Erica, you found a really great resource from LGBTQA plus Reads. Yes. Whoever, I didn't see a name, whoever compiled this list is a real one. Um, It's, yeah, LGBTQ Reads, 
and it breaks down young adult books by, well, not breaks down, but rather it says like the representation and even says if the authors are uh, people of color. Oh yeah, this is Dahlia's, Dahlia's blog, Dahlia Adler. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. I was, did not know that. So Dahlia, hats off. Yeah. And Dahlia Adler is a great, she's great. She's got, I mean, she's been running this book or this blog for years and this is just like a tremendous resource for yes. representation. She's also a YA author who has a few queer books out, queer YA books and some new adult books. But it's incredible. The amount of time and effort she puts in this. <laughs> Thank you for telling me the name. I never looked at, Erica, look at the about page, silly goose. But yes, I was just in awe. Um, it breaks down by like bi- bisexual, pansexual, queer slash questioning, and or asexual. It shows um, authors of color. It breaks it down by genre and subgenres, like queer male protagonists. Well, that's not a genre, but I'm just reading the breakdowns. Um, it breaks it down by queer male protagonists, contemporary fiction, scroll down historical, you have fantasy slash paranormal. It's just a great, it's just a great resource. So definitely gonna include that. And before we go, I would like to mention too that we've decided to do a an episode where we're reading books from free books from rivetedlit.com. And that's basically, well, we kind of wanted to highlight some some free like online book resources, especially going into summer where, you know, school is out or at least, you know, greatly reduced if you're doing summer classes. And um, we know it's not always easy to um, one, buy books because that's money. Or two, you know, if your library selection is a little limited, um, Riveted Lit, each month they have a list of free books available online. And the June books are already out. And basically all you do is you register online for free and you have access to these books until the new month comes around and the new selection comes. Yeah, so I think we haven't decided which ones we're going to read together, if any, but they're such like a great selection, I feel, for June. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, and yeah. I've read, I've actually read some of the ones that are um, are up for, you know, for free read. So, oh, perfect. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, well, you know. Yeah, they're pretty good. Actually. Yeah, you don't have to talk, you don't have to read them, but we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about that program. We're going to talk about some other resources for free books as well. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that will be on our regular next episode. And in the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in. You can always leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps us know how we're doing and it helps others find us. Feel free to also email us at bookriot.com with your thoughts slash recommendation requests slash questions. Um, we love hearing from listeners. And don't forget to visit bookriot.com for more newsletters, podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks again to today's sponsors for helping make this show possible. And as always, thank you to our amazing audio editor, Jen Sink. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at at Tears of Price. And how about you, Erica? I am sometimes on Twitter at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. Well, happy reading and we will see you again soon. 